Hey guys, it's Jessie, and welcome to Avocado Toast. This episode is just going to be me telling you the news, and then um, a seminar from Grisha Yakubovich, who talked to me in Israel about de-escalation in Gaza. Um, he had been a commander in the IDF, and so I hope you guys find this very interesting. Um, right now, Nicole and I are in final season, so we weren't really able to record because our schedules are pretty tight. I can't focus, so I figured I'll just do this, and Nicole has so much to do. So this is what we're doing. So let me tell you about the news from the past week, because there's a lot, and that's why I wanted to make sure that I got this episode done. So this past week, the U.S. launched military air, a military airstrike on Syria, which is fucked. Um, single-use plastics are going to be banned in the UK, which is pretty interesting. Um, I think they're following France's lead on that. Michael Cohen, who is Trump's lawyer, drops the defamation lawsuit that he had filed with BuzzFeed over publishing a dossier about Trump's campaign having ties with Russia. Because we all know it has ties with Russia. Just waiting. Um, Anthony Borges, a Parkland student, became the first person to file a lawsuit against the people who were involved for negligence. Um, Anthony Borges had been shot multiple times protecting his classmates, and he's now undergone about nine surgeries. Um, and he's still in recovery, but him and his lawyer believe that it is the next step for them is to file this lawsuit. Um, his attorney actually said, um, and I quote, we said from the onset that we are going to use to going to sue every single person who is remotely responsible for this happening from the ground up. And so this lawsuit is being filed against seven different defendants, some of whom being Nicholas Cruz, um, the gunman's mom's estate, and several mental health centers that had seen the gunman before the um, shooting on Valentine's Day. Basically, he's suing anyone who was who knew that the gunman was a threat to others because um, that does count as negligence. Like, they could have prevented this, and they didn't, so. Um, Southwest had an engine failure that resulted in one death and seven injuries, um, and it is the first passenger fatality in the U.S. since 2009, which statistically is pretty darn good, but it still is, like, really awful that that happened. Um, I, from what I read, they don't really know why it happened. Um, so I guess if there's any updates, maybe we'll tell you if it makes the news. So Pompeo met with Kim Jong-un over Easter weekend, top secret meeting. So hopefully we can keep you updated on that. I don't know how much information is going to be continuing to come out about it. Barbara Bush died. That is everything that I have. I hope that you guys really enjoy this. Uh, it was one of my favorite experiences on the trip, so I hope you enjoy. Hey, good morning. First of all, I'm impressed. You're on time. So I'm, uh, I'm a retired colonel from the IBF. I retired September 16, 2016, <coughs> after 30 years in service. Uh, I served in Gaza, West Bank, Gaza, West Bank, Gaza, West Bank. <laughs> uh, many years. Then a little bit here in Tel Aviv, then in New York, then in Brussels, then I came back. My expertise is the, the Palestinian-Israeli relations. Uh, when I say Palestinians, uh, this is a term that we need to clarify a little bit. What do I mean? Two major things, and then during the lecture, that it will be something like 45 minutes, and we will have something like 15 minutes for questions. 
or we can open with questions that uh, you have in mind and you refer to uh, as a start. Number one, whatever I'm going to talk about is uh, facts, is reality, is things that I did, that I participated personally, uh, that I was behind the curtain, okay? Not like this one, but this one is to the people outside. Uh, <laughs> policies that I wrote and presented to the Israeli cabinet or uh, uh, negotiations that I negotiated with the Palestinians either in Egypt, either in Ramallah. I uh, spent uh, a day, once a week, in Ramallah, uh, negotiating with the Palestinian ministers. So uh, it's a very short presentation because of the time limit, so we will do it 45 minutes. I will not dive into details, so you will have uh, a, a large overview uh, number two, or the, the, the second issue is when <coughs> usually people come to Israel and they live, I don't know, where do you live? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. From Pittsburgh, okay. Mm -hmm. So usually people from Pittsburgh think that the situation between us and the Palestinians is very simple. It's either black, either white. Uh, it's like somebody says, I'm from Pittsburgh, you guys there, why don't you negotiate, sit on the table, make peace, you will give up a little bit, they will give up a little bit. The situation is simple. And uh, we will continue from there. And what I will try and show you in uh, the following 45 minutes is that the situation is a little bit white, a little bit black. And in between, I'm going to show you the third movie of Fifty Shapes of Break, but my movie is much better. <laughs> uh, we are talking about Gaza and West Bank. So the West Bank is somewhere here, okay? This is the West Bank. And the Gaza Strip is, is here. Okay, this is uh, already the Egyptian border with Israel. Okay, Jordan, Lebanon, and Syria. One of the threats that we are trying to deal, or we will deal in the following decade, is uh, Iran establishment in the area. And Iran is already in Syria, as you probably heard. Iran is already in Lebanon, as you probably know, and Iran are already inside Gaza, okay? When I say Iran in, it means they have a proxy organization that represents their interests in uh, the area. What do you think is Iran's interest in this area or being around Israel? Kill us. That's a, a simple way to say they don't like us, okay? <laughs> but let's talk about interests. Why do we have the they don't? A beach? <laughs> <laughs> no, not because no, no, they also have a beach. No, mm -hmm. I want you to understand the logic of what is happening here. Iran is already in Gaza, okay? Now, a question I will ask myself. How is it possible that Iran is already in Gaza when Iran is Shia and Gaza is Hamas and it's Sunnah? It doesn't fit. Let's see what is happening in Syria when Sunnah and Shia and Alawis, do you know that Syrians are, are, are Alawis? Uh, it's a different type of Islam. It's a combination with Christianity and, uh, and other things. But they slaughtered each other in Syria they slaughter each other in Iran. And how is it possible that Iran has a cooperation and coordination inside Gaza already by delivering money using the tunnels coming from Egypt into Gaza and paying for 
Nukba uh, terrorists inside Gaza that belong to Hamas, that they are part of Sunnah. What do you think? Yes. Well, it makes me think of the say, like my my enemy's enemy, or my yeah, my enemy's enemy is my friend. Okay. Um, so it's just like they so um, they may have the divide between Sunni and Shiite. However, they have a common enemy, the state of Israel. So that can allow for some cooperation. First of all, you are very right. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Okay. Number one. Number two, it's interests. Okay. Now, what do Iran wants more than anything? Nuclear weapon. Nuclear weapon. Okay. So they signed on an agreement during uh, Obama's presidency in the states, and they are allowed to build this nuclear factory without dealing with uh, uranium. Okay. So if they will start dealing with uranium, it means it will be a threat on Israel. So Israel will fly probably to Iran and bomb that nuclear uh, power or whatever it will happen. Okay, so to balance Israel or to create a threat on Israel that if you will fly, okay, from Israel and you will fly and reach to Iran here, it's 1,000 something uh, kilometers, we will be or we will make your life as a hell from Gaza, from Lebanon, and Syria, okay? It's a threat balance that Iran is trying to create, okay? Now, because of this situation, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and others uh, are also, uh, they also have plans to build this nuclear, I don't know, factories, power plants, whatever, okay? So this is a strategical uh, impact that impacts on Israel's policy in Gaza and in the West. Okay? And it also impacts Gaza, controlled by Hamas. Hamas. Hamas is a terror organization that is a part of the PLO. Okay? Who is their president? So Hamas conquered Gaza from the PA. Okay, so Hamas conquered the Gaza Strip from the unity government that is a part, that is actually uh, the PA, but their president is also the same guy is Mahmoud Abbas. By the way, who is Abu Mazen? Mahmoud Abbas. Who said that? Adil. Usually, people do not understand the difference, or that it's not a difference, that it is actually the same guy. I had a group from Columbia University, pro-Palestinians, okay? I respect that. It's very, it's, it's okay by me if somebody is pro-Israeli or pro-Palestinians. But if you pro something, you need to understand basic, basic things. Now, Mahmoud Abbas is Abu Mazen. Why his name is Abu Mazen? He's the father of Mazen. Okay, okay, excellent. Let's make your life a little bit more complicated. Yasser Arafat, what is his name also? Abu Ammar, okay? And he's called Abu Ammar because his father. father. Or the ORS son. Does he have sons? I guess not. No, he has only a daughter, and we are not sure that it is, that it is his daughter, okay? <laughs> it's uh, somebody's job, uh, an inside job. Uh, his name is Muhammad um, Rashid, okay? But he's called Abu Ammar because he doesn't have sons, so he would be called Abu Ammar uh, after his father, okay? Uh, small details. Okay, I'm going to make your morning very complicated. Okay, it's a very complicated morning, but I will try to simplify it. Okay, 
I'm not going to teach you history, okay? We are not going to start somewhere here from 67. I hope uh, you are familiar with the history. But let's talk a little bit about uh, the second intifada. The first intifada started at 88, okay? Uh, at December 87, okay? Excuse me, with Pisa, do we all familiar with the term intifada? Maybe we can uh, just in a few words. Intifada? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Two words. Uh, how do you say in English balagan? Mass. Mass. Chaos. So, uh, do you see Fauda? The Israeli. Uh, yeah, sure. Fauda? No, they, they haven't seen it. Call Fauda. I know. Yeah, you guys should it's, really on Netflix. Really it's on Netflix now. Yeah, it's on Netflix. The whole world is. Uh, I think that in Canada it's the most famous uh, Israeli. <laughs> okay, Fauda, Fauda it means a mess in Arabic, okay? Intifada it means a big mess, okay? So, uh, an intifada, it means the first intifada started in December 87. It's against the Israeli uh, occupation, uh, the, the Israeli civil administration. By the way, I was a part of that administration inside Gaza. My last position in Gaza, at before we disengaged from Gaza, when I was the last mayor of the city of Gaza. Uh, so I was also the last officer with Major General Matan bin Laid to leave the Gaza Strip, and we gave actually the, the, the authorities to the new Palestinian Authority, okay, to this new agreement. So uh, Second Intifada started September 2000. It's after a decade when we established this coordination between us and the Palestinians. When I said that, you need to understand, we used to share the same basis, okay? On the ground, we had a base, we had the living rooms, we had the dining rooms, we had the operation rooms, we worked together. Uh, then the Intifada started when one of the Palestinian officers that was sitting inside this operation room with one of my officers entered to that office and left a device inside. He went out and this room exploded and I lost one of my officers, okay, inside. So this is an example to hundreds or thousands of events where the same Palestinian Authority that we signed on agreement with them and we authorized, I authorized to uh, AK-47s to enter through Egypt, through, Karen, through uh, Rafah crossing into Gaza and they turned the same weapon that we authorized them to use uh, uh, inside area A against us, okay? And that's how the Second Intifada started. <coughs> the trust, the trust was turned to two pieces between uh, the two sides. Mm -hmm. So the Second Intifada was from September 2000. It, uh, the most significant event was uh, <coughs> in 2002 in uh, Netanyahu, uh, a suicide, a, a guy that decided to be a shaheed. You know what's a, sh a shaheed? What's a shaheed? Uh, Martyr. Uh, Mal? Mal Martyr. Martyr. Martyr, yes. Mokadosh. Yes. 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 Yes that they are uh, martyrs or, or whatever, what would they get? 72 guys? <laughs> <coughs> okay, <laughs> problematic issue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I mentioned one of the issues. 
Okay, so let's continue. We entered a huge operation inside the West Bank with few divisions. Uh, we've created, uh, because of this operation, because of this reality, an anarchy was created in the West Bank, okay? A total anarchy. Uh, we gave some <coughs> orders to the Palestinian Authority, to the, uh, to the Palestinian police, to the <coughs> security forces that they may stay inside the police stations, the weapons should be closed, but uh, at the end, unfortunately, they used all that, all that weapon against us. Uh, more than 1,000 Israelis were killed because of those suicide attacks. <coughs> and uh, to contain terror, Israel decided to build a security fence. Uh, are they going to travel uh, at the security fence? We've done Tirza. Ah, we've done Tirza. So you're going to be in the area of Jerusalem. Okay. Uh, so a security fence was built uh, around the West Bank and actually containing terror inside. But uh, it also created a huge advantage to Israel. Okay? The advantage is that the West Bank is contained. It means terror is contained. We have free access into areas A, B, and C inside the West Bank. So we can uh, catch whoever we want to catch. And we can pick him from his bank. Okay? And before he becomes a bigger terror sale, uh, that we will have to engage in future and, and, and uh, more people will die. <coughs> so the second intifada created a situation that uh, the security, re this, the reality in Israel was uh, people were afraid to use buses. Uh, more than 1,000 Israelis were killed. Inside the West Bank and Gaza also thousands of people were killed. Mm -hmm. Okay, A lot of blood in between and uh, this is the situation. Uh, before we reach to, to 2007, uh, two major events. 2005, the disengagement from Gaza. Okay, we evacuated all the all the 21, 22 settlements inside uh, <coughs> inside the Gaza Strip. Uh, 2006, Hamas uh, using a tunnel kidnapped Gilad Shalit. Okay, a soldier. Uh, in 2006, there were elections at the Palestinian Authority. Who won the elections? Why are you so afraid? Oh, come on, it's morning, you're after breakfast. I don't know. <laughs> so the answer, what usually people give me an answer is Hamas, okay? And this is a misunderstanding. Hamas and Fatah got the same percentage of votes, of voters, okay? They were equal to each other. Uh, and why is that? It's because of the Palestinian Authority or Fatah corruption okay, in Gaza and in the West Bank. So they lost many good people, like Salam Fayyad, for example, that was the prime minister. Uh, and they've become independent. So Hamas and Fatah understood that they are equal, so they, would, they established a unity government. Okay? Because of this unity government in 2006, Israel decided to implement a very simple policy. If it's a unity government, it means Hamas and Fatah together. It means the PA is painted with green. It means it's Hamas, and we are not allowed to coordinate and to talk to them. Okay? So no more coordination with the Palestinian Authority uh, if since 2000, uh, 2006. But Israelis, like Israelis, we are always finding uh, creative ways. So uh, we have decided that if uh, a ministry from the PA will be under Mahmoud Abbas, Abu Mazen's direct responsibility, we will coordinate with them. Why do you think we did that?
Why do we need that? Security? There's no security. Uh, total anarchy. Security uh, cooperation on the board? Security cooperation started later. <coughs> okay? Somebody needs to pay for water. Somebody needs to pay for electricity. Somebody needs to pay for uh, hospitals. Palestinians were entering to Israel. Uh, Israel is supplying energy to Gaza and to the West Bank. And somebody needs to sit with us and negotiate who is going to pay what. But they don't pay anyone. We will talk about payments, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, from 2006, no more coordination with the Palestinians. June 2007, and remember, Everything in this arena, in this area, happens in June. I don't know why, but <laughs> June, it's a lovely... Lovely time for a war. For a war? Yes, yeah, lovely time for war. You know, when, when, I, was, when, when I prepared myself for, uh, for lectures in the UK, people told me, if you ever hear the word lovely, it means like in the US, uh, somebody tells you interesting, okay? <laughs> so, uh, I've heard only once. Lovely, and the States, I heard only twice, interesting. <laughs> uh, it's okay. So, June 2007, a revolution in Gaza, okay? Hamas is uh, occupying the Gaza Strip from the PA, from the unity government, and they uh, are actually establishing a terror regime inside Gaza. The elections, were to, the elections were in 2006. This is the unity government that I talked about, uh -huh. okay? And <coughs> Hamas, Hamas and Fatah got the same votes, okay? They were uh -huh. a part of the PA, but Hamas did not recognize the hospital uh, agreement. And in June 2007, uh, a coup, that's how we say it, a coup, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. inside the Gaza Strip, and Hamas is actually taking over the Gaza Strip by executing 300 Fatah officials. Some of them ran to the borders, I, evacu I evacuated some of them by buses, some of them by uh, helicopters to the West Bank. Today they are all in Jericho or in Ramallah. It's the same guys that we are connected with. And Hamas executed the 300 Fatah officials uh, in a very special way. They tied their hands in the back, they brought them up to high store buildings, shot them in the knees, and threw them down. Those pictures were shown in the West Bank by the governors of the West Bank. So people in the West Bank will see what will happen to them if they will choose Hamas in the future, okay? So, so the Palestinian Authority for the first time, and this is why this date is marked with a red circle, was split to two entities. One is a Hamas entity in the Gaza Strip, and two is a Fatah entity, PA, in the West Bank. And we had to implement two different policies towards each one of these areas. In the Gaza Strip, we disengaged from Gaza 2005. Gilad Shalit was kidnapped in 2006. Hamas is actually controlling the area in the Gaza Strip, okay? By the way, this is a part of Hamas's vision that it's a part of the Islamic Brotherhood, okay? Like in uh, Egypt, uh, like in Jordan, belongs to Hassan and Banna and his uh, philosophy. And for the first time, since they were established, and I remember the guy who established uh, Hamas, uh, Mahmoud Yassin, I, I met him a few times in Gaza, before we, his, we gave him one way ticket to Allah. Uh, <coughs> yeah, that was a very fast ticket. 
I didn't do that. My job was totally, totally different job. I made sure that the people of Gaza will have water, electricity, the streets will be clean, that they will have hospitals, that they will have budget. Uh, I gave permits to people to get medical treatments in Israel. I evacuated people to uh, some other places. I saved life of Palestinians during Protective Edge. I coordinated and I organized the entire international community to push into Gaza 5,700 trucks under fire into the shelters where people were hidden, okay? Uh, and, and, and having this envelope of uh, the UN and the ICRC, ICRC is the Red Cross. So I did a total different job. Uh, those are the things that I can talk about. There are a few things that we cannot talk about. For example, one of the things that I can tell you is that I'm the only officer in the IDF, the only one, and I'm still uh, in reserve. I was already appointed to be a commander of a unit in the Southern Command. And I'm building a new unit for the next war in Gaza. And we are going to face another war in Gaza, unfortunately. But I'm the only officer that I was honored by a Palestinian family. And one of their kids, uh, my name was given to him. So there is a kid in Gaza that his name is Grisha. Okay? Uh, and I used to visit him once a year with Muhammad Dahlan. Do you know who is he? The reality, June 2007, uh, two entities, two Palestinian, different entities, they have one president, but if Abbas will enter to Gaza, he will be probably killed somehow, not naturally, of course. Uh, and for the first time, Hamas is implementing the vision, the vision that they will, and, and they, they have a dream, okay? Their dream is very simple. They want to be uh, uh, or they want to replace Abu Mazen and to lead the PLO. They want to be the known representative, the right representative uh, of the Palestinian uh, entity or the future Palestinian state. How many Palestinians do we have? You know, do they have? Not we. In Gaza, how many? About a million and a half. Two million. Somebody else. Two million and forty-four thousand. 365 square kilometers. It's smaller than Singapore. And in 2045, there are going to be more than 4, 4 million in Ghana. Uh, lack of land, lack of water, sewage all over, uh, an economy in a crisis. And we are still going to face a disaster in Gaza. We will talk about it in a few minutes. So, I'm going to do it very fast here, okay? Many details, so uh, uh, we will not enter to each one of the events. But since June 2007, Hamas is actually controlling the Gaza Strip, building the force, building the tunnels, building the grads, the motor shells, the rockets, okay? All the things that you've heard about. Uh, using and getting a lot of money uh, that is coming uh, uh, through a, a taxing system. Uh, that is actually uh, coming from the tunnels. I define this economy as uh, the tunnel economy from Egypt. So 
uh, after being the leader in Gaza or, or entering to the shoes of the PA, they understand that the situation in Gaza is quite complicated. Uh, so <coughs> the first operation is being launched, Operation uh, Castlead. After this, or, or until this operation, the policy towards Gaza Strip was very simple. Okay, I will, I will try to conclude it in one sentence. What is the policy implemented by Israel towards the Gaza Strip? We disengaged from Gaza. Gilad Shalit was kidnapped. They, uh, uh, they had a revolution in Gaza. They are in control in Gaza. No more Fatah in Gaza, okay? Uh, a terror entity, so the policy is very simple. Nothing is allowed to be entered to Gaza except what they need. It means <coughs> in 2007, 1.8 million Palestinians, they need, for example, 22,000 calories per day. They need 25,000 liters of diesel. We calculated all those numbers. We, they even brought us to uh, uh, the Israeli high court and uh, Israel's policy succeeded to uh, be authorized by the high court. And uh, that, was, that was the policy, yes. Was she killed? The, the lady who was kidnapped, the soldier? Gilad Yeah. Yeah, he was released also. Wait, oh, so you guys found her? No, it's not her, it's him. Okay? It's a soldier, his name is Gilad Shalit. He no, was no, she's talking about who, who kidnapped him. Hamas. Was she, oh, was was he, oh, sorry. Like, oh, was he like? Did he survive or no? Yeah, he survived. Okay. Yes. I was there the day he released him. He spent uh, something like I think five or five or six years uh, with Hamas uh, as a as a prisoner. Uh, we knew nothing about him. Okay, uh, we tried to get some information. Uh, we used the Red Cross, the ICRC. Uh, we didn't know if he's alive, not alive, nothing. And after we had a deal, uh, a bargain deal, a bargain? Bargain? A bargain. A bargain deal. We released 1,200 terrorists and we got him back uh, by uh, Egypt as a uh, middle mediator. Uh, Egypt as mediators, yes, okay? Uh, one of the prisoners that was released is actually is the guy that replaced Hania. Okay, that is Yahya Sanwar. He was in Israeli prison. Yes. Do you think it was worth it um, trading him for so many terrorists? Such a difficult question. Okay, it's a very difficult question. I will give you two answers. One as an, as an officer, as a higher officer, and the second one as a father. Okay? Uh, as an officer, I don't think that I would do that, okay? I don't think that it's worth it because we all, by the way, we already arrested. A dangerous prejudice also. Prejudice, is that the word? Mm -hmm. That it will have something that's happening for the first time. It's extremely dangerous. Like, once you say to Hamas, like, yeah, we'll give you uh, two, what, like 1,200 terrorists for one soldier. The that price. Why were worth it if kid never The price mm -hmm. is very high. Uh, we decided to pay that price because we, we value uh, life, mm -hmm. okay? So uh, that was the price. Uh, as a father, I would pay 10,000, okay? So, so that is the building yeah. dilemma. Mm -hmm. you, have you guys seen the, the, the social media images of, of Palestinians holding up the three fingers after, after Shalit was released? So, can you, can you about that and, and it's not that specific, why? They're, they're talking about capturing, uh, the idea was they released 1,200 terrorists, 
So the three fingers were, let's capture three more soldiers, get people we want out of prison. Um, it's, it's, we need three more collage elites to get 3,600 people free from prison. So I, I kind of... It's, uh, it's, a, it's an issue inside the Palestinian yeah. entity. <coughs> that the prisoners that we hold, some of them belong to Fatah, some of them belong to, uh, to Hamas. So if you add another three uh, soldiers, by the way, they have already two bodies, and they have another Israel, Arab, uh, another Ethiopian uh, guy from Ashkelon. So uh, they believe that the price would be, again, uh, 1,000 uh, prisoners uh, for each one of uh, our soldiers or bodies or... or uh, whatever, uh, I don't think I don't think it will happen again. Okay, uh, and if yes, so I think this is the one of the most difficult decisions that the prime minister needs uh, to take. Uh, and again, as a father and as an officer, it's two different uh, answers. But there's another perspective. Uh, usually, prisoners inside Israeli jails change their state of mind. Okay. Today, Hamas is more pragmatic than it used to be during Hania in Gaza and Khaled Mashal from Qatar. Okay. And today, Hamas is, is not divided to Hamas from outside and Hamas inside. Uh, in the past, Khaled Mashal from Qatar used to give orders to Hania. Okay. Today, Hania from Gaza is refu <coughs> from Shati refugee camp, replaced Khaled Mashal in his city in Gaza. And Yahya Sinwar, that was released in this deal, is actually uh, inside Gaza. He's some sort of a prime minister inside Gaza, but he's more pragmatic. He's changing uh, the way and uh, the behavior and the way uh, and, the, and, and the reality inside Gaza. Okay? So there is also an advantage to people uh, who were prisoners, they paid a huge price, and uh, they, they, they start thinking a little bit different. By the way, the whole Oslo agreement, when we implemented that, it was simpler and easier with the people who grew up here in the West Bank and Gaza, like uh, Dakhlan, Jibril Arjoub, Hamad Rashid Abu Jubak, okay, and, and, and it, it just names, okay? It tells nothing to you. Then the people who came from Libya and Tunisia, okay? that belong to Fatah, uh, 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 total different people. OK, let's continue. So that was the <coughs> policy. Uh, 2010, a small event, the flotilla that came from Turkey, the Marmara, OK? And those boats, those, those two events, changed the policy towards the Gaza Strip from a policy that says nothing will enter to Gaza except what they need to a policy that says everything is allowed to be entered to Gaza except dual-use materials. What is a dual-use material? What is a dual-use material? Is it something that can be used for uh, like benign purpose and then also as a weapon? As an exa example. Oh. Cement. Cement. They can build houses and they build tunnels. Another example? Gunpowder, maybe? Gunpowder, maybe? Gunpowder is gunpowder. It's not a dual-use material. It's, uh, Mm -hmm. Those are the simple things, okay? Let's, uh, let's try and find uh, fertilizers. Fertilizer. For example, okay, it's used for? Farming. Farming. Mm -hmm. And if we will look at Gaza, 365 square kilometers, 
two million people, lack of land, lack of water, fertilizer is critical, so you can provide or you can grow in one acre uh, two times, three times more than you can grow without a fertilizer. So when there's a place and people have this need, fertilizer is critical. I've seen uh, with my two eyes, three Israeli tanks exploded to two pieces uh, when the device was uh, Orea, okay, a fertilizer. An example, uh, you have a car back home. Yeah. Daddy bought it to you? <laughs> Something like that. But it, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is your car. Let's say that you don't have a phone, a mobile, and you are driving with your car, and you are in the middle of the desert, okay? And I'm telling you that, so you will not tell me I will call my dad or my friend or something. <laughs> you are stuck, and you need to change a tire, okay? What do you do? You cannot stop. Uh, nobody can stop there. You are alone. How do you deal with that? Do I have an extra tire? Yeah, of course. You have an extra tire, and you have what else? Tools. tools. Okay, can you, can you tell me what is the type of the tools that you have? A jack and a wrench. A jack, wrench. excellent. I believe that uh, if your father really loves you, he will buy you a hydraulic jack, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but usually people today use hydraulic jack. Okay, what is the meaning of hydraulic jack? You put it under the car, you push the button, and it takes the car up, okay? Hydraulic jack is a dual-use material. Why? It's got hydrogen. It's what? Yeah, it's hydrogen in it. No. What is a rocket? Ah. Yeah. I don't have any. Yeah, it's a little it's bit. Uh, about it's a little bit uh, okay. More than that, and it's something like from here to here, okay? This is a rocket. Now, when you need to hide this rocket in, in the ground, what do you do? You dig a small hole, right? Mm -hmm. And you put the rocket on the hydraulic jack. Oh. You connect the hydraulic jack to your mobile, you push number one, the angle will be Ashkelon. You push number two, the angle will be Tel Aviv. Okay, very simple. Mm -hmm. And we need to, to defend our policy in front of the UN and the entire international community that are asking us, how is it possible that you are not allowing to the women of Gaza to change the tires alone because the husbands are busy or doing whatever? Okay, small example of the uh, dual-use materials, and the list is very, very long. Okay, so we change the policy from here, from a policy that says nothing, nothing is allowed to be entered to Gaza except what they need, to a policy that says everything is allowed to be entered to Gaza except dual-use materials. So we expanded the civil policy from 2011, let's say, and uh, until today. In 2012, we sent uh, another guy with one-way ticket to the sky, to the heaven, not to heaven, to hell, I don't know. <laughs> and because of that, uh, Operation Pillar of Defense started. Uh, they launched 1,532 <coughs> rockets uh, into Israel. But do you know what is the amount of rockets that uh, were launched from Gaza since 2001 until today? The total amount. Because when you see the numbers here, it's only during the operations. But in between, uh, they also launched, okay? Uh, At least, I would say 10,000. Somebody else? 7,500. It's close to 19,000 rockets. Okay, 19,000 rockets and motor shells that they launched into Israel. You know, when I negotiated 
after pillar of defense in Egypt, uh, we flew to Egypt, it doesn't matter how, I led one of the uh, uh, one of the committees there, and in that building, uh, the guy, the Egyptian guy, I I called him and I said, you know, we have, we have to drink a cup of coffee, and if you want to talk in a very, very close way, so you need to pull your cigarettes out, okay? You need to smoke a lot of coffee, smoke a lot of coffee, <laughs> and only then you start talking. So I told him, uh, I know that Hamas was there somewhere, okay? It doesn't matter where, in the building. And I told him, look guys, uh, please, uh, if you can ask Hamas to uh, stop launching rockets and motorcycles to Ashkelon, okay? Because my parents lived there, my sister lived there, and, uh, and it's, it's very close to my heart. Uh, but if they want to launch to Zderot, okay, have you been to Zderot? Yeah. We're going to oh. be there on Friday. Excellent. So uh, if, if you want to launch to Zderot, I have no problem with that. My mother-in-law lives there. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked, by the way. It worked because it made us uh, closer, okay, in this negotiation. So when you start telling jokes and jokes that the other side understands, it's, uh, it's the mentality that you need to understand, okay? And, uh, and to be closer to that. So after pillar of defense, we changed the policy again towards the Gaza Strip, okay? Uh, but this time, who is ruling Egypt? Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood, Morsi, okay? How is it possible that we are negotiating with Islamic Brotherhood inside Egypt, okay? And we are getting many nice coordinations between us and Hamas inside Gaza. So you're not talking to your enemy. We are not allowed to talk to Hamas. But there are other ways to talk to your enemy. Somebody, that will be the middleman. Another two ways, and somebody helping? How do you talk to an enemy? How do I talk to Hamas if I'm not allowed to talk to them? So. Negotiate uh, uh, a third person. A third person, okay. And, and 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 if he's busy, and he doesn't want to talk to you, well, like it happened in Protective Edge, that we all waited to the Egyptians to talk to Hamas, so we will get to a ceasefire, and uh, it didn't happen. By the way, this is the longest operation in Israel because of this reason, that the middleman was busy, okay. Uh, more than that, there is an official spy in Israel, okay? Everybody knows that there is an official spy from Egypt. We all know him, okay? We all talk to him. Uh, and I used to smoke a lot with him, okay? <laughs> so uh, we, we sat in my office, and after this uh, formal meeting, we had to go down, okay? I sat in the ninth floor here in Kaplan Street, and he asked me during Protective Edge, uh, something like he, after the third cigarette, it's like, uh, in Egypt, they call me Grisha, but in Gaza, they call me Drisha because they don't have the Ga. So he tell me, Captain Grisha, Captain, uh, Akid, it means the colonel, we are disappointed from you. I said, why the hell you are disappointed from us? He said, we are very disappointed you are not doing the job. I said, what do you mean we are not doing the job? We, you are in Gaza, and you are not doing the job. Come on, uh, uh, do the job. I said, but we are, have already 1,700 people who were killed. I said, so what is the problem with it? You have to do the job. So the longest operation that was between somebody, okay, is protective edge because the middleman, the, the guy that was in between, that we all waited that they would stop us, stopped us only after 52 days. And it's it was their interest for the war to go? Yes. Yes. Why? Hmm? Why? Because they hate Hamas more than anything else. 
for the first time when I flew again to Egypt, it doesn't matter how, I was, uh, I don't know, I was something, you know, happy inside to listen that there is somebody in Egypt that they hate more than us, the Jews. Okay, it's Hamas. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's bizarre, I know. Why do they hate Hamas? We will get to that in a minute. Okay. okay. <laughs> My way of doing things is when I see that you are starting to fall asleep, it's to jump somewhere, to <laughs> tell a joke, and then to get back. Okay? This is one of the things. Near <coughs> Okay, so, pillar uh, of defense, we negotiated, we expanded the civil policy again, in a way, and uh, then in June 2013, I told you everything happens in June, another revolution. But this time, where? In th June 2013, another revolution, but this time in Egypt. So, Mubarak, okay, Morsi, Sisi. Now, if Morsi, that uh, belongs to the Islamic Brotherhood, and Hamas is a part of him, he looks at Hamas and says, those are my kids, okay? I'm going to support them. I'm going to make them or I'm going to make them be stronger, or they, they will be equal to Mahmoud Abbas. So in the future, if they will be strong enough, they will be elected as the uh, leaders of the Palestinian Authority, or the leaders of the PLO. It means if I will support Hamas, and they will be strong enough in Gaza, and in future elections they will be elected also in the West Bank, so why to waste energy in the West Bank. Who is wasting the energy in the West Bank? Israel, the US, the UK, Canada. We are authorizing and training the battalions, okay? Already nine battalions inside the West Bank that are making law and order inside the West Bank. Uh, arresting Hamas, arresting Islamic Jihad, arresting Salafia, arresting ISIS, coordinating with us, okay? We will get to that in a few minutes, how it happened. Uh, so, uh, why to invest in the West Bank? I will invest in Gaza. Now, when, if I'm Hamas, I'm looking back. Okay, I have my big mama behind me, Egypt, 80 million people, Mursi, Islamic Brotherhood for the first time. And uh, I feel backed. I can do whatever I want to do. So Hamas decided to disengage from Abu Mazen. It's like we disengaged in 2005, and Hamas decided to disengage from Abu Mazen. In, uh, uh, during 2011 and 12, it means they stopped buying diesel and uh, gasoline from Israel. Uh, and they smuggled the diesel and, the, uh, and whatever through the tunnels. Now, I will give you uh, this issue as one example, okay, of what is the meaning of this engagement. If I'm, ha if, if, if I'm Hamas and I'm buying diesel from Israel, it means I'm paying a lot of taxes to who? To Israel. And the taxes go where? To Abu Mazen. So if I'm not buying diesel and gasoline from Israel, it means Abu Mazen will not get the taxes. Okay? You understand that? Now, 43 of Abu Mazen, 43% of Abu Mazen's budget that he is getting from the international community and he's getting from Israel is actually being spent in Gaza. Okay, so it's a terror entity, Hamas, that is ruling and controlling the Gaza Strip. Okay, they are a separate entity with different policies that Israel is implementing uh, in, 
inside Gaza. And Abu Mazen from Ramallah is still sending 43% of his budget to Gaza, to Hamas, to the same people who are disengaging from here. Another example, okay? Who is supplying energy to Gaza? Israel. Electricity. Israel, okay? Uh, I will do it fast, and uh, if you are confused, just stop, okay? So, Israel is supplying energy, electricity to Gaza by 10 old lines, something like 43, 44% of the Gaza consumption, okay? By the way, people, uh, the people in Gaza have electricity only uh, four to eight hours a day, okay? That is the reality in Gaza, unfortunately. So, Israel is supplying electricity to Gaza. Hamas are collecting the bills from the people who are consuming the electricity that Israel is supplying. What are they doing with the money? They should deliver the money to Abu Mazen's budget, okay? The only thing that they deliver to Abu Mazen is an eye and a finger. With the money, they are buying smuggler diesel from Egypt that is entering to Gaza from the tunnels, so they will be able to operate the power plant inside Gaza. There is a power plant, okay? With four turbines that can uh, create the same amount of energy that Israel is supplying uh, from Israel. Now, uh, who is paying for that energy that Israel is supplying to Gaza? Let's make it simple. Israel is supplying the electricity to Gaza, and Abu Mazen is paying for the electricity. How does he pay? Israel is collecting the revenues, okay, for Abu Mazen. This is something like 500 to 700 million shekels per a month. And before we deliver Abu Mazen the revenues that we are collecting from him, for him, we are deducting the amount of energy that we are supplying to Gaza. Okay? So it means we need to stay in coordination with Abu Mazen, okay, or with the PA, in a way. It means we need to coordinate with Hamas, in a way. Maybe not directly with Hamas, but we need to find a way, creative ways, and we found, okay? So, June 2013, if that vision of Morsi, that I'm going to make Hamas stronger, Hamas feel that they are backed by their big mama, the reality is changed. Sisi is uh, elected their way of doing elections in Egypt, and his policy is totally different. He is saying, instead of Hamas being elected, and uh, in the future they will rule also the West Bank, his policy is that he will make Hamas getting on their knees begging Abu Mazen to get back to Gaza. And what happened in 2017? Reconciliation. Abu Mazen is slowly getting back to Gaza. Will it succeed? A big question mark. I don't see that the reconciliation uh, actually happened. One of the good things of uh, President Trump's declaration about the embassy in Jerusalem is that they all forgot about their reconciliation and they're all dealing with what is happening with this embassy. So uh, it's, still, it's still quiet. When the issue of Jerusalem will move aside and they will have to deal with the reconciliation again, my estimation is that it's going to explode. And if it will not happen, uh, we are going to face another war unfortunately. So June 2013, Sisi is uh, uh, in control in Egypt. And he's changing the policy. His way to change the policy was to cut all the tunnels here, okay? 1,100 tunnels that are uh, bringing goods into Gaza. So when you cut the tunnels, it means no more cash money. 
Now, the system is a very simple system, okay? 1,100 tunnels that you smuggle goods through uh, from Egypt into Gaza, and inside Gaza, Hamas officials are taxing the goods that are being smuggled from Egypt into Gaza, bringing an income of $350 million per year to Hamas budget. So with that money, they can pay salaries to 28 to 30,000 officials that were appointed by Hamas inside Gaza that Abu Mazen refuses to pay them the salaries. But they can pay the salaries because they are disengaging from Abu Mazen. Now, let's not forget, 70,000 officials that belong to the PA were fired by Hamas, sitting home, and Abu Mazen continues paying them the salaries while they are not doing the job, and uh, Hamas officials are doing the job, okay? A very delicate situation. So when the flow of cash stops by Egypt and the tunnels are cut, the situation and the reality in Gaza is changed. 38,000 officials are doing the job, working in hospitals, schools, whatever, for one month, two months, three months, four months, and they are not getting the money, okay? No salaries. Now, the reality in Gaza was totally changed because if they used to buy, let's, for example, uh, a bag of flour that is being smuggled through the tunnels from Egypt will cost, I don't know, 70 shekels, okay? How much is it in, in dollars, 70 shekels? Um, 20. Like 20, $25, something like that, 20, 25, okay? Now, this time, now they need the flour, right? But this time they need to get the flour, but from Israel. It comes from Kerem Shalom Crossing, okay, here, on this triangle board. Uh, but this time they, they will pay for the same bag, 120 shekels. So the reality inside Gaza is dramatically changed. The economical situation is getting worse. Lack of energy. People are getting energy for eight to uh, 10 hours and now it was reduced. A water crisis, okay? 95% of the water in Gaza, you cannot drink them, okay? They are uh, uh, salted, or the salinity is so high that they, that they cannot uh, use it. And the situation is getting worse and getting worse. Meanwhile, in the West Bank, three teenagers are being kidnapped brutally murdered by Hamas terror cell, but the reason for protective edge is not the uh, brutal murder of those three kids, it's the strategic situation, the strategic problem that Hamas actually entered to a corner and they understood that the only way to change the reality is to open fire on Israel. Why? Mm -hmm. Or not why? Let's try and understand the equation that Hamas created. If you want to get something from the Jews, you need to use power. After each one of the operations, we changed the policy towards the Gaza Strip. After Protective Edge, we also changed the reality. We added more water, we increased the amount of permits, uh, the amount of trucks that were authorized to come to Kerem Shalom and to bring goods to Israel and raised to 1,000 trucks per day. Uh, people from Gaza got permits uh, to enter to Israel. So. If Israel understands only power, and we've proved it that after these three operations, each time, again, Israel changed the reality, it means uh, the next operation, we will be able to get whatever we want to get, okay? This is Hamas's narrative. And the narrative, use power, you will gain more, okay? Abu Mazen is a total different guy. I met him a few times in his office in, in, in Ramallah, 
in the Mukata, okay? This is how it's called in, the, in New York. And uh, if you remember, I told you that in 2006, we stopped all coordination with the PA, right? Because of the unity government. In 2007, when Hamas took, uh, or, I don't know, uh, took Gaza by force, it means no more Hamas at the PA, so we started to coordinate again with the Palestinian Authority. And uh, we increased the security and civil cooperation in the West Bank. We authorized the battalions to get their trainings in Jordan, in Jericho, and other places. We allowed the international community to push money, project Area C, Area B. Uh, we added water, we added electricity, we added permits. Uh, so uh, just numbers uh, and regarding the West Bank. The, the, there used to be something like 52 checkpoints in the West Bank. How many checkpoints are today in the West Bank? I'm not talking about crossing, okay, into Israel, okay? The, the, the West Bank is surrounded with security fence, okay, with crossings into Israel. Israel has the right to decide who will enter to Israel uh, or not, okay? But inside the West Bank, okay, it means no more, uh, no more crossings, uh, no more checkpoints. So, uh, we changed the reality of the people, access and movement inside the West Bank. People can move freely, no more checkpoints. Today we have only one checkpoint normally open, okay? In Tapuach Junction, near uh, Ariel. Uh, we pushed and we supported the Palestinian economy. Today, 140,000 Palestinians are working in Israel on a daily basis. 80,000 with uh, permits and the rest are illegal workers, but they are bringing in income of five billion shekels per year to the Palestinian economy inside the West Bank, okay? Another 29,000 Palestinians work in the settlements, okay? In the industrial zones in the settlements. This is where the BDS is focused, by the way. Chazak, <coughs> And they are also bringing an income of one billion shekels to the Palestinian uh, economy in the West Bank. By the way, what do you think? Abu Mazen and the Palestinian government support the BDS? Yes? Okay. And how can you explain, if they support the BDS, that they are authorizing to 29,000 Palestinians to work in the settlements? So when you say a new settlement was built, who built the settlement? What do you think? Israelis? We don't like to work here. Okay. <laughs> Palestinians. By the way, with only one phone call, uh, Hamdallah, the Prime Minister, or Mahmoud Abbas can call uh, a guy and tell him, I want you to stop all the workers. That will happen, okay? With one phone call, and it's not happening. If it will happen, if maybe it will happen if uh, the PA will start supporting the, the BDS, <coughs> okay? On the other hand, they cannot do that because they cannot provide jobs to 29,000 Palestinians, 29,000 families, okay? This is the reality. If you ask me, I'm against Palestinians that will work in Israel and in the settlements. Why? Yes. For the immediate term, I will support it. But for the long term, I want to see the Palestinian Authority building industrial zones inside the West Bank, creating jobs, creating technology, creating factories, and not being dependent on workers who will come here to Tel Aviv and build I don't know, new neighborhoods and new hotels, because I don't want to see engineers that uh, got their, I don't know, or, or people who are highly educated. I don't know if you know, but in, in, in the West Bank, it's the highest percentage of educated people in the Middle East. 
uh, with uh, excellent universities like Gerzet uh, and Najah and others. So, so I don't want to see a worker with a first or second degree working uh, as a, I don't know, uh, as, as a guy that build neighborhoods in Tel Aviv. Or I want to see that engineer from BLZ getting a very uh, honorable salary inside the Palestinian Authority. So where all the money goes to? I tried to, uh, by, you know, by, by, by those coordination with the PA, I tried for 10 years to build industrial zones with the Palestinian Authority. And each time it failed again and again and again. I want to see their economy inside the West Bank a much better economy because I prefer to see uh, a neighbor or, 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 or to be with a neighbor that is satisfied with his economy and with his reality and with his infrastructure. So maybe then we will have a, a, a ground for uh, future negotiations. So the policy in the West Bank that we have created and established together since June 2007, it was step by step, okay? Let's not forget the second intifada, September 2000, where I lost, as that example, one of my uh, officers, or unfortunately I had to collect two of my soldiers in pieces because a woman was sent by her husband to explode herself and she killed two of my soldiers uh, because she cheated her husband. And the only way to clean the family is to make a big boom. So the uh, policy in uh, the West Bank, and I know that even if you are here on the news, BBC, CNN, whatever, Abu Mazen declared no more civil coordination, no more security coordination. I will not talk to them. I will not. It's only a very nice show in TV, okay? The reality on the ground, on a daily base, on a daily base, every evening, every morning, there is a full security cooperation between us and the Palestinian Authority. Do you want to laugh? There is also security coordination between us and Hamas. What do you think? Have you... Are, are there going to be Gaza? <coughs> to what? Gaza, on the border. We are getting closer to the border. We're going to go into Nativa Salah. Mm, excellent. So if you stand in Nativa Salah near that wall with the yeah. Sifas, look to the left, you will see a small hill. Okay, a very small, small one with a white house on it. Okay, this is a Hamas post on, uh, on the security fence. And there are Hamas posts all over the, the security fence. Now, what do you think? That they are there because uh, they, they got somebody's authorization? They are trying to uh, make us uh, not happy? No, we want them to be there. Okay? There are snipers in those posts. Yeah, we know. But they are there, guarding the border. If they are responsible in Gaza, they need to be responsible. Yes, we will not talk to them, okay? We will not coordinate with them. There are three ways to talk to your enemy. One is by somebody that would be a middleman. Number two is using <coughs> media, okay? Uh, TV, Al Jazeera, quotes uh, or whatever. And number three is uh, shooting, okay? Open fire. So he, uh, if he doesn't understand the, the guy from uh, Egypt, he will probably understand Al Jazeera. And, and if, if he doesn't understand that and that, he will understand a, a missile or a bomb coming from a Merkava tank, okay? He will understand it very fast. 
So uh, in the West Bank, uh, full security coordination, we dealt with access and movement, we are dealing and supporting the PA with economy, we are uh, supporting the infrastructure. There are other issues like Area C, but we will not uh, get to that. There is a civil full coordination to try and make or to, uh, and create stability. Uh, in 2020, in 2020, this is the Gaza's aquifer to collapse in 2020. It means 2.1 million people are going to be left in 2020 without a drop of water. Now, who is going to deal with this problem? It's going to explode in our faces. So maybe is it the right time to negotiate with Hamas or with somebody else to solve the problem and to gain some security guarantees before we will reach to 2020 and we will be forced to solve the problem? Okay? Or we will have to wait until there will be this critical problem and maybe Hamas will finally give up and start uh, changing their policy. Yes. Is it ju um, just a minute and okay. I'm, I'm opening the floor to, to, to questions. Okay? Uh, Abu Mazen is the president. How old is he? 83. Okay, he celebrated with Mars. He is, I love those guys, okay? I love the guys who, who painted. He's so connected to his chair with roots that, um, again, my estimation, I don't see any elections in the coming future until he will vanish from the arena, okay? Either naturally, either somebody will send him also to Allah, like we did to some people. Uh, and until then, there will be no elections. Uh, Mazen, his son, and he has another son, unfortunately, corrupted. And corruption it would be one of uh, the PA's problems in the coming future. And Hamas also are beginning uh, to be in that issue. So uh, the agenda, what is, uh, what is good for both sides, for Hamas and Fatah, is the unity government, Egypt, US, the deal, the deal will be, the deal, the deal of the century, okay? Happen, it will not happen, nobody knows. The issue of the prisoners, okay? It's something that impacts Gaza and West Bank together. This is something that they, 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 they are sharing the interests. The issue of Jerusalem. If a war will happen in Gaza, you will don't, you, we will not feel demonstrations, not in the West Bank, not in, not, in, not in Jerusalem. If a war will happen in the West Bank, we will feel some uh, misorders or demonstrations in East Jerusalem and that's all, okay? Uh, by the way, the biggest, uh, Demonstrations during Protective Edge. Where, where, uh, where did it happen? Do you know? We didn't see. We didn't see demonstrations. Not in the West Bank. Not in Jerusalem. Nowhere. It happened more in the States, in Britain, in, uh, in other places. Uh, in the West Bank, people continued to enter to Israel to walk, like uh, like nothing happened. Uh, boycott and uh, BDS in Hamas. Uh, one of their interests is control preservation. They will never, never, never give up on this achievement of being in control in Gaza. They will prefer to suicide uh, and, and, and not give up on this advantage. They need and they want to implement the vision with the global recon, uh, rec recognition, the electricity, water, and sewage crisis in 2020 that we are going all to face. And if we will not do something with that, it will explode in our faces like a boomerang. Uh, unfortunately, and uh, 
the vision PLO to be there. In the West Bank, Area C conflict, uh, we don't have the time to enter to that, unfortunately. This is a short, uh, short session. Uh, they need to change uh, this issue of incitement. Uh, the incitement is terrible from the West Bank. If somebody would ask me, would there be ever peace between us and the Palestinians? Yes, in 50 years from today. They need to change their education. We need to change our education, and we need both sides to stop with, with, with incitement. Uh, funds to the PA, a lot of money. I used to fly to Brussels once a year and to New York once a year, April and September, as a colonel in the IDF wearing a suit and begging the donors to continue donating the millions of dollars to the PA's budget. Because if the PA would not get the budget, they will have nobody to coordinate with in the West Bank, and there would be an anarchy again in the West Bank. So who is actually keeping a non-anarchy situation in the West Bank? And who is keeping the uh, security situation in the West Bank? The majority of the job is the PA, okay? It's not, it's not, it's, it's, it's not Israel. And the day after. The day after is the day after this guy that we call him Abu Mazen. Who is going to replace him? Nobody knows. Many candidates. Uh, my personal belief is that there will be a group of people that will appoint somebody that will be a puppet on the stream. And the problem will be what narrative they are going to adopt. Are they going to adopt Hamas narratives that Israel understands only power? So those people will adopt this narrative and say, so why don't we use more power? Or they are going to adopt this guy's narrative. By the way, he is against violence. I'm, I believe him. I met him a few times. I know him. I read about him in some uh, papers that uh, you're, I'm not allowed to share with you. Uh, and, and he is against violence. But he believes that the only way to uh, reach somewhere is by negotiation with the Israelis. But he says the problem is that there is nobody to negotiate with in the, in the Israeli side. So if there is nobody to negotiate, what should I do? I will apply to the international community with the uh, unilateral steps. So the international community will force Israel to uh, to get something. And if will uh, and, and, and and if that will fail also, it means are we going to face a war? Nobody knows. Yes, questions. Could you could you explain a little bit more um, why the aquifer is going to collapse in Gaza? It's the pressure between the Mediterranean and the aquifer in Gaza. The aquifer in Gaza used to be very high always, okay? So the moment the aquifer gets down, because more than 7,000 wells uh -huh. uh, were uh, operated in Gaza without control, it means they sucked the majority of the aquifer. The pressure is getting down. Seawater is penetrating to the aquifer. They don't have electricity, so sewage is not treated. And 104,000 cubic of sewage per day is penetrating to the aquifer, and 24,000 is to the Mediterranean. Okay. Okay? You're talking about saltwater intrusion. Yes. Yeah. The aquifer is going to collapse. By the way, to reconstruct this aquifer, it will take them between 70 to 100 years. So we are going to be stuck with Gaza if we will not deal with this problem for another 70 years. Yes. Um, so this is sort of related to what you were talking about at the end. Um, you know, recently a lot of Abbas's rhetoric especially like around Jerusalem has been just like blatantly anti-Semitic and you talk a lot about like incitement from the PA also just like officials saying things that are that are anti-Semitic right it's not just like Israeli policies they disagree with but like it's the Jews fault and they're terrible people and etc um do you think that pragmatically he is someone that you can come to an arrangement with him being 83 years old like what happens the day after is he somebody you can Israel can actually talk to and what is sort of like you like 
I've heard sort of read about like some of the disagreements between like the politicians and people in the security establishment, and like, obviously like you're coming from, and the security establishment sort of being more pragmatic, like you have to talk to them and, and sort of contain things and control things, and the politicians obviously being politicians and wanting to say things that they think appeal to voters. So how does that sort of balance out with, is he someone you can talk to? I have two answers, one is a long one, one is a short one. I will, uh, I will give you the short one, because we don't have the time, okay? Uh, and I will go back to history. Yasser Arafat, okay, Abu Ammar. When he negotiated with Ewald uh, Barak in, uh, in Camp David with Bill Clinton, I don't know if you've ever seen those pictures. Yasser Arafat and Ewald Barak pushing each other through the door, enter, enter, and then uh, the president came and pushed those, those two fat guys into the door. They were stuck and <laughs> they entered. But uh, Ewald Barak offered him 94% okay, of uh, all his demands. And he said no. Why did he say no? Okay, you know what? Eld Olmert, he's a president now, but he was the prime minister in Israel, and he offered Abu Mazen 97% of all his demands, and he still said no. Why do you think they both said no? I mean, afraid of the reaction. I will give you an answer, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so Yasser Arafat, two main reasons. Number one, have you ever seen a picture of Yasser Arafat not on uniform, on civilian clothes? Never, okay? I have a picture that my wife found. We are, we are cleaning for, uh, for Pesach. So we found a picture that uh, I spent some time with Yasser Arafat in his office in Gaza. I was a very young hair. Uh, my, my hair was black and not white. Uh, but he was in uniform. Okay? He was the Palestinian Che Guevara, okay? the revolutionary. He could never, never lead a country as a leader. Okay? Number one. Number two. We talked at the beginning on Iran, Sunnah, Shia, Alawi, they disagreed, they slaughtered each other, they were, okay? Will Abu Mazen, will Yasser Arafat ever be able to get uh, a, a decision coming from the Muslim world to give up on an inch from Jordan? Never. Let's go to Abu Mazen, that's why he said no. Let's go to Abu Mazen, okay? Mazen said also no to Dwell uh, uh, Olmer, but his response is much smarter, okay? He's a leader. He started as a bad leader, and he uh, uh, was trained, in, uh, and, and he became, let's say, uh, a good one. Uh, but he says there's nobody to negotiate with in the Israeli side. Is that really so? Maybe yes, okay? issue of settlements, but we can solve that. We did that in 1949, 1950 with Egypt, we made swaps, okay, with land and areas. So, so we can find, money solves everything. Uh, yes, I negotiated in another negotiation with the Palestinians before the protective edge operation with the US involvement, it doesn't matter who. And uh, yeah, money, money could solve many things, okay? Uh, but will Abu Mazen get, will he ever get a decision from the Muslim world to give up on an inch from Jerusalem? Now, his, his, what, what is leading Abu Mazen is actually two, two things. Number one is June 2007, you remember the revolution in Gaza? He is going to be blamed in Palestinian history as the leader that because of him, the Palestinian entity was split into two entities. Hamas and Fatah, okay? And I'm saying, that's why he is always running uh, to the international community. 
Number two, this is his solution, international community, because he knows that he will not get the directive from the Muslim world. So if he will apply to the international community and they will force Israel to do something, it means he can say, number one, I succeeded to cover all my, how many fashla? My, um, this happened. Something that you did, like, wrong. Mistake. mistake. It's not a mistake, it's more than a mistake, okay? <laughs> exactly. The fashla, in Arabic it's a fashil, okay? So, so and if the national community will actually be involved and they will force Israel to any agreement, it means it's not him. He was, he, he was forced. Thank you very much. I hope you will uh, enjoy your day. You can take it. If you have questions, please don't send me emails. Okay, just call me on WhatsApp and I will give you an answer because I don't have the time. Okay, thank you very much. Avocado Toast is part of the Pocket Podcast Network, delivering quality content right to your pocket.